turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our study through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I heard about a a man this last week that uh, went to a a little country fair, and he was just making his way through the fairgrounds, and he came across this little girl who was holding this huge cotton candy on a stick. And the guy was taken aback because this cotton candy was as big as she was. And he said to that little girl, how can a little girl like you eat such a big amount of cotton candy? And the girl's response was priceless. You know what she said? She says, well, actually, I'm a lot bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. (laughs) That's a pretty good answer, isn't it? I want you to think about that. I think it's good food for thought. Am I bigger on the inside than I am on the outside? Let me ask you, are you bigger on the inside than you are on the outside? As Jesus gave this wonderful Sermon on the Mount to those who had chosen to follow him, to those who had chosen to enter the kingdom of heaven and live in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus wanted to draw a clear distinction between what he was calling his followers to do and what the other religious leaders tended to do in his day. A little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to call out the Pharisees. He's going to call out the religious leaders because they had a habit of looking really good on the outside while all the time they were corrupt on the inside. They were really big on the outside, but they were wasting away on the inside. And Jesus basically says, not so with you. Not so with you. When Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, he began with those great beatitudes, those eight blessed are statements that we've been studying over the past four weeks together. And in those blessed are statements, Jesus was addressing our hearts. He was addressing our need to have growth and character development on the inside. I want to say it this way. When it comes to living in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is much more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort. While the world focuses on making you bigger on the outside, Jesus focuses on making you bigger on the inside. These eight Beatitudes that start the Sermon on the Mount highlight what godly character looks like in the real world. You and I as followers of Christ should be humble, Jesus says, and we should be repentant and self-controlled and hungry for God and merciful and sincere and peacemakers. These beatitudes show us what our character should look like in Christ's kingdom. Amen? Amen. But what Jesus teaches us immediately after those eight beatitudes, I want to suggest to you today, it's just as important. Just as important as those Beatitudes is what Jesus says immediately after giving us those Beatitudes. In a nutshell, Jesus says, I have just described for you in the Beatitudes what your changed life should look like as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And there is a reason why I've called you to live this way. There's a reason I've called you to live in a way that is 180 degrees from conventional wisdom. I've, there's, I've called you to live this way for a reason, and it comes down to this, influence. I've called you to have influence in your little corner of the world. Today's passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 
is all about influence. Dr. James Stewart was a great Scottish preacher of the past century, and he wrote these words. He wrote, The greatest threat to Christianity is not communism or atheism or even materialism. The greatest threat to Christianity is Christians trying to sneak into heaven incognito without ever showing their faith, without ever living out the Christian life, without ever becoming involved in the most significant work God is doing on planet earth, which is leading people into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Oh, we're going to talk about influence this morning. Jesus has called you and me to be salt and light. We're in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Here we go. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. May God bless us as we study and, more importantly, apply his word to our lives today. Well, Jesus turns to you and me today and says, I hereby order you to influence those around you. It's not a request. It's not a suggestion. It's a command from our Lord. Influence those around you. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Well, let's take a closer look at each of these two metaphors that Jesus gives us in these verses. Matthew 5.13, once again, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Well, Jesus turns to us and says here, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. Well, that sounds real inspirational and all, but what does he mean? (laughs) What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Well, salt is a very versatile substance, as you know, and there's a lot of purposes for which salt is used. And so over the centuries, different Bible teachers, different pastors and Bible scholars have tried to guess what Jesus had in mind when he said that we are the salt of the earth. Since there's all these different uses, which one does Jesus primarily have in mind? Let me throw a couple suggestions that have been talked about and preached about over the years. Firstly, salt brings out the flavor of food. It brings out the best flavor, right? Uh, how many of you enjoy having a, a nice uh, tortilla chip dipped in salsa when neither of them have salt on them? Kind of nasty. Tortilla chips are really bland without salt. Salsa is really bland without salt. We like salt on our chips. We like salt in our salsa, and we like salt on our french fries. How often do you eat french fries with no salt? They're just bland potatoes. They don't taste very good, do they? And so salt brings out the flavor of food. Sometimes salt will even bring out the sweetness in something sweet. That's why many people will salt their watermelon uh, to bring out that sweetness even more. So perhaps Jesus is telling us to bring out the best in those around us. 
Maybe. Salt also creates thirst. Some bars and restaurants give away free peanuts. Why do they give away free salted peanuts? Well, they know that once you start eating those free salted peanuts, you get what? You get thirsty, right? And they know that if they get you good and thirsty, you're going to spend more money by buying more drinks. And so they're not giving out those salted peanuts because they're generous and love their customers. They're giving them out because they want to sell more drinks. Same thing goes on in movie theaters across our nation uh, when they're not closed is they sell nice salted popcorn because they know good and well you get full of salted popcorn, you're going to go back for a large Coke. And so is Jesus making the point that we are to create spiritual thirst in others? Maybe. Salt does bring out flavor. Salt does create thirst, but I want to suggest to you this morning that there are two other purposes of salt that I believe Jesus had in the forefront of his mind when he said to us, you are the salt of the earth. The first of those is this, salt purifies. Salt purifies. In the ancient world, raw salt was considered to be one of the purest substances on earth. And so it became... Uh, symbolic of purity. And we can see this in various places in the Old Testament. Uh, that's one of the main reasons why God instructed the Jewish priests to use salt in their religious ceremonies and in their sacrifices because in the ancient world, salt was equated with purity and God wanted his people to know that those sacrifices and those offerings and those religious ceremonies were supposed to be kept Pure. A few quick examples. Exodus 30, verse 35. God says, make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Leviticus 2.13. God says, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. So in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, salt symbolizes purity. So if Jesus has this symbolism in mind, this is his message to us when he says, you are the salt of the earth. He seems to be saying, as my followers, you are to purify this corrupt world through your example of righteous character and by leading people to me who can cleanse them from all unrighteousness. That seems to be the first part of Jesus' message here when he calls us the salt of the earth. These two parts of being purified, uh, the, uh, the purifying aspect of salt, I think go hand in hand. If you think about that little uh, statement I gave you that Jesus, I believe, is saying to us, he wants us to lead through our example and demonstrate the righteous character of God and at the same time lead them to the one who can cleanse them of all righteousness. Those two really do go hand in hand. You think about it, if uh, we are living righteous lives but not leading people to Christ, that doesn't ultimately do them any good, does it? We can live a, a good example, but if we're not bringing them to the one that can transform their hearts and save them, Ultimately, it doesn't do them any good. On the other hand, if we are leading people to Jesus, but we're not living a life that is purified, then they're going to look at our lives and say, okay, I get this, you're leading me to Jesus, but if by accepting Jesus, I'm going to look by, look like you, then thanks, but no thanks. 
I'm not interested. Count me out. If I'm going to end up looking like you and talking like you and acting like you, I want nothing to do with this Jesus guy. And so when it comes to these two steps of purity, they really go hand in hand. We must, Jesus says, live a pure, set-apart life, but at the same time lead people to the only one who can make them pure as well. The people in Jesus' day knew exactly what Jesus was talking about when he talked about losing our saltiness. You notice he says that uh, there in verse 13. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You see, the people in Jesus' day understood that most of their salt was quarried from the Dead Sea Valley. Uh, The Dead Sea Valley is an interesting place. It's the lowest place on earth. It's more than a quarter mile below sea level. Isn't that nuts? It's much lower uh, than even uh, whether it's uh, the Salton Sea uh, just off the I-10 freeway on the way to Arizona or the uh, uh, the Mojave Desert lower regions. Uh, it's It's the lowest place on earth. And so this Dead Sea Valley has plenty of salt, believe me. Plenty of salt, but there was a problem which the Jews knew about. You could quarry all sorts of salt from the Dead Sea. You could get all the salt you wanted, but oftentimes that salt was contaminated. It was contaminated with sand. It was contaminated with gypsum and and different chemicals. And so you might scoop up lots of salt, but with that salt, you would have the contamination of the sand and the gypsum and the chemicals. And so Jesus, what he says here, would be well understood by his original audience. You know what? It's great to have salt, but make sure that salt is not contaminated. Here's Jesus' point. Followers of Christ are a salt that purifies. We are called to remain pure in a corrupt world. And our purity should influence the corrupt world around us more than the corrupt world around us influences us. People have a bad habit of lowering their moral standards over time. I think you'd agree with that. Over time, cultures around the world tend to lower their sexual standards and lower their moral standards for marriage and divorce, and they lower their moral standards for music and TV programs and movies. And believe it or not, in some countries, some countries, they'll even lower their standards in their capital city for their political leaders. Can you believe that? Some countries, they have lowering standards for their political leaders. Well, Christians are called to maintain the highest level of pure moral standards. In a polluted culture that constantly wants to drop them. In all likelihood, Jesus has purity in mind as he tells us that we are the salt of the earth. Listen to what Bible commentary Commentator William Barclay has to say about the purifying aspect of being a follower of Christ. He says, if the Christian is to be the salt of the earth, he must have a certain antiseptic influence on life. The Christian must be the cleansing antiseptic in any society in which he happens to be. He must be the person who by his presence defeats corruption and makes it easier for others to be good. What a marvelous insight. Let me ask you, do you defeat corruption in your little corner of the world? 
And do you encourage others? Are others inspired? Do others find it easier to be good because they're around you? Salt is needed where there is corruption. So Christians are needed in every corner of our corrupt world. Christians are needed in our neighborhoods. They're needed in our workplaces. They're needed in our schools. They're needed in our churches. And they're definitely needed in our government. You and I should have a purifying effect everywhere we go. Your home should be less corrupt because you are there. Your workplace should be less corrupt because you are there. Your neighborhood should be less corrupt. Your school should be less corrupt because you are there. And certainly our government should be less corrupt as Christians go into politics and go into positions of leadership. We should have a cleansing, an antiseptic effect wherever we go. We should have a purifying effect on those around us. And if there isn't that purifying effect taking place around us, Something, honestly, is terribly wrong. Something is wrong if the environment you are in doesn't become even a little bit better because you are there. You see, we're called to be salt, which means if Jesus Christ is living inside of us and has purified us from all sin, there is no excuse for that not having ripple effects into the relationships we are in. There's no excuse for that not having some sort of impact on those in our sphere of influence. You see, salt always makes a difference. You add salt to something, it will definitely have an impact. It will definitely make a difference. And if it doesn't, there's one of two problems. If you are not having a clear impact in your circle of influence, either number one, you've become become contaminated just like that salt in the Dead Sea mixed with gypsum and sand and other crud, if you are not having an antiseptic effect, if you are not having some sort of cleansing effect in your relationships, then quite possibly you become contaminated yourself. Or number two, you're hiding in the salt shaker. That's the only other option. You're hiding in the salt shaker. You're not getting out into the world and exposing the, the Lord Jesus Christ within you to those around you. And so I want you to give some thought to that. Have I become contaminated? Or have I begun hiding in the salt shaker? Either way, Jesus says you need to knock it off. So, salt purifies, but there's likely one other purpose for salt that Jesus had in mind. Salt also preserves. Salt preserves. In our day, salt is cheap and we don't think much about it. But in Jesus' day, salt was very valuable, especially as a preservative. Of course, no one in the first century had a refrigerator or a a freezer. So what did you do with meat that you didn't want to spoil? What did you do with fruit or vegetables you didn't want to spoil? You salted them. And I threw salt all over that. That was the one way to keep meat through a cold winter so your family wouldn't starve to death. Uh, You would dry out the meat and you would salt it. You would take that slab of beef and you'd dry it out and you'd salt it. And what do we call that? We call it beef jerky, right? And so that's how they preserved meat in particular, but also sometimes fruit and vegetables in those days. And so this uh, preserving effect of salt was probably forefront in Jesus' mind. 
Salt was so valuable in Jesus' day that it was often traded ounce for ounce with gold. Isn't that crazy? An ounce of salt worth as much as an ounce of gold, a pound of salt worth as much as a pound of gold. And many times uh, in, ancient, in the ancient world, that was the case. Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt. In fact, the word salary comes from the word for salt. Isn't that interesting? Salary comes from salt. Roman soldiers would be paid uh, oftentimes in salt. And so uh, these expressions developed out of that when someone says uh, about another, he's worth his salt. That means he earned his keep. When someone says that guy is not worth his salt, that means he didn't do his job. He didn't uh, work as hard as he should have and shouldn't get paid fully uh, for that day's job. The bottom line is our nation's morals are decaying. Our culture's ethics are rotting. And it's our job as salt to preserve the holiness of God and the goodness of Jesus as much as we can. Morals in our nation are pretty bad right now. But can you imagine how bad the morals in our nation would be if Christians didn't live in this nation? Can you imagine how bad it would get? As bad as Washington, D.C. may seem morally, imagine how bad it would be if there weren't any Christians in Washington, D.C. Imagine how uh, immoral Hollywood seems to be at times, but imagine if Hollywood didn't have any Christians in it. Sometimes we look around us in the Victor Valley and say, wow, we've become so immoral in this valley. Imagine if we didn't have the churches here in the Victor Valley. Imagine if we didn't have thousands upon thousands of Christians here in the Victor Valley. Oh, things might seem bad, but imagine how much worse they would be without the church of the living God being in the midst of this moral depravity and Christians penetrating the darkness. As a rule of thumb, the people of this world will only pursue good and godly morals when it's self-serving. We know that's true, don't we? People usually will only pursue good and right morals when it's self-serving. It's like the little boy I heard about this last week. He went up to his mommy and he said, Mommy, if you give me $5, I'll be a really good boy. Mom responded, Well, why don't you be more like your dad? He's good for nothing. Well, you know what? We as Christians, as followers of Christ, are called to be good for nothing. Unlike the sinful world around us, we don't act morally only when it's in our best interest. We don't have selfish motives in mind, do we? We live a good life. We live a righteous life. We live out these eight beatitudes that Jesus gave us in the first 12 verses of Matthew 5. Not for personal gain. We do it because we are followers of Jesus Christ. And our Lord said so. He said we should do that. So we do it for the glory of Christ and the advancement of his kingdom and the good of those around us. Oh, so when it comes down to it, salt purifies and salt preserves. And Jesus calls you and me to have a purifying and preserving influence in our little corner of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 14. He says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 
So Jesus turns to us and says, Church, Christians, followers of Christ, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Well, what does Jesus mean by this? Well, we know that like salt, this metaphor of light has to do with influence. But what specific kind of influence is Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus is the original light of the world. Amen? He's the original. 2,000 years ago, he penetrated the spiritual darkness of this world as he touched down here on planet Earth. And ever since that time, he's been raising up followers of his to continue his mission of penetrating the darkness. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 15 and 16 that even though we live within a crooked and depraved generation, Paul says, we shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. So Paul paints this beautiful picture of Christ's followers penetrating our dark and dying world with the light of the gospel. We speak the gospel, but more importantly, we are living, breathing examples of the gospel. We demonstrate the transformation that the gospel of Jesus Christ can have in our lives. Amen? And we take in Jesus, the light of the world, and Jesus, as we ingest him and take him in and have him sit in the driver's seat of our lives, should spill out from our fingertips and from our eyeballs and our lips and our noses and our ears and our feet. Everything that we do and say should somehow reflect the light of Jesus who lives inside of us. He is the ultimate light of the world. But as he lives inside of us and does his work in and through us, we too, Jesus says, are the light of the world. I believe Jesus' main point by using this metaphor, it seems to be that Christians are meant to be seen. Christians are meant to be seen. Just as a city on a hill can't be hidden, back in those days... They, of course, didn't have electric lights. They didn't have much of a light source at all at nighttime other than some oil lamps. But if you had a a highly populated city up on a hill and everybody was burning their oil lamps at the same time, from miles away down in the valleys, you could see that city on a hill at nighttime. And Jesus is saying that city on a hill wouldn't ever say, hey, everybody, turn off your oil lamps so that the people miles away in the valley can't see us. No, they wouldn't do that. They allow their light to shine there on the hill for everyone to be blessed with. So Christians are meant to be seen. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Light is meant to be seen. Sometimes lights are a guide. That's the, per- per- that's the purpose of the lights that run alongside an, an airport or a, a, a runway. Those lights are meant to be seen so that you know uh, where your boundaries are and that pilot knows where exactly to land his plane. Uh, sometimes lights are a warning. Uh, that's the purpose of the flashing lights of an ambulance. They warn you that uh, that vehicle is coming and needs to get by. Sometimes lights are for beauty. That's the purpose of Christmas lights. Similarly, you and I are meant to shine the light of Christ as a guide to people who are lost without him. We're meant to share the light of Christ and shine it as a warning to those who are heading for disaster and will end up in hell if they don't accept Christ. And also you and I are meant to shine the the beauty of Christ's light in this dark and, and, and gloomy world. We are to bring the beauty of Christ's mercy and forgiveness and love 
to the people around us. I think William Barclay once again says it really well. He writes, The disciple who is visibly different from other men will have an effect on them. But the aim of his good works is not to parade his own virtue, but to direct attention to the God who inspired them. The city set on a hill reinforces the importance of being conspicuously different. The emphasis on the passage is on non-concealment. Huh, what a, a great way to describe this passage. He says the emphasis in this passage, especially as Jesus talks about the light and being light of the world, the emphasis is on non-concealment. It's been a lot of talk in recent years about people getting a concealed carry permit in Southern California. And most of you probably know what that means. Someone has a permit in order to carry a concealed weapon. And so Jesus is saying, I want you guys to do the opposite. I don't want you to have a concealed carry when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to have an open carry. I want you to have a policy of non-concealment. You are the light of the world. You're not meant to be hidden. You're not meant to be shoved into a closet or even into a church building. You're, You're meant to take it to the streets. You're meant to take it into your homes in plain view of your families. You're meant to take the the gospel of Jesus Christ into your workplace, regardless of whether your boss is a Christian, a Muslim, or an agnostic. You're meant to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into your schools. You're meant to penetrate every sector of society with the humility and, and with the meekness and with the purity and with the righteousness and with the hunger for God and with the peacemaking that comes as we follow Jesus Christ. Oh, we are not in the practice of concealment. We are in the business of non-concealment. Jesus says, oh, you are the light of the world. You cannot be hidden. Well, for far too long, I believe we as Christians have stayed in the background. We've stayed in our own comfort zone. We've huddled together in our own churches and when we talk about Jesus and when we pray and and when we do our good deeds, it's all within the comfort zone of the church building. And I think maybe one thing that God has done through COVID is kicked many Christians out of the church building and said, I think it's high time you take it to the streets. It's time to carry out that influence that I always intended you to carry out as a follower of me. Jesus has called us to influence those around us. So it is high time that you and I stand for righteousness and preserve our families and our government and our schools and our churches from further decay. It's high time that we do this publicly. There's value in shining the light of Christ privately, but there is more value in shining it publicly. As a Christian, you are different. So be conspicuously different. You're called to influence others for Christ, so don't conceal your influence. You were placed in this time, you were placed in this location in order to impact others for the good of Christ and to lead them to Jesus Christ. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. So let's get to it. Let's take that wonderful character that Jesus is forming inside of us and let's live it openly for all to see 
so that they can be transformed by the power of the gospel that we speak and the power of the gospel that we live out with our very lives. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Lord Jesus, thank you for demonstrating for us how to be salt and light. Lord, help us not just to focus on carrying out the eight Beatitudes, Lord, privately, but help us, Lord, to live them out publicly. Lord, help those around us to see the change in us. Lord, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us not to be ashamed to live differently than others. Help us not to to shirk away from the possibility of insult or persecution as we live a different life. That different life, Lord, you call us to live for the purpose of influence. We want to influence our families. We want to influence our friends. We want to influence our neighbors and our coworkers and our fellow students. We want to influence our government. Lord Jesus, help us to be men and women of influence. Help us to be salt. Help us to be light. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're watching this broadcast today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to make that decision today. You're lost without Him. You're lost. You cannot go to heaven by your own good works. You cannot be right with God unless Jesus Christ makes you right with God. So if you're ready to accept Christ as your Savior and as the Lord of your life, we like to share the ABCs. A, admit that you are a sinner and need Jesus. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C, choose today to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And if you're serious about doing that, you call one of those prayer counselors. Their names and phone numbers are on the screen at the bottom. You can call or text them. Let them know you've made a decision to accept Christ. And they'd love to talk to you about getting baptized to make it clear to God and the angels and anyone that's watching, I am serious about this decision I've made. I'm following Jesus Christ from this point forward. And if you're already a believer and follower of Christ, we're going to take communion together. I encourage you to have your bread and your juice ready. Jesus knew that we would tend to forget the most important things in life as we get caught up in the stresses of, uh, of sickness and, and of work and of paying bills and all of the different things we worry about each week, he knew we'd tend to forget that Jesus Christ is with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And so he gave us these very tangible reminders, the bread that reminds us of his body that was broken, the juice that reminds us of his blood that was poured out. And so Jesus says, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the juice and he said, take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Please forgive us. Wash us clean. Forgive us, Lord, for being incognito Christians. Forgive us for keeping our faith to ourselves. Forgive us, O God, for hiding the light inside of us under a bowl. Help us, Lord, 
to be the antiseptic in the world that it needs desperately. Help us, Lord, to transform the relationships that we are in simply because we are there living out what you've called us to live out. As we take Christ with us everywhere we go, we pray that our workplaces and our homes and our, our, our families and our neighborhoods and our schools and our churches even would be transformed as we take you with us. Forgive us, Lord, for not being salt and light and help us in the days to come. Lord, to preserve, help us in the days to come, O oh God, to bring out the flavor of God in others. Help us to create a thirst in others and help us, Lord, to shine brightly for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have one final song to end the service. Thank you for joining us for worship today. Go and light up your world for Jesus Christ.